Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin. Uh, I am a very poorly special effects artist and podcaster. And I am joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst. And I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I'm the picture of physical strength. So I, I'm not poorly at the moment, but I've just tempted the universe to strike me down. So I mean, you're also sat next to me, so you're uh, definitely going to Oh, man. Um, but uh, I am the typh- typhoid Mary of podcasts. Well, I am going to use these final breaths to talk about Spider Baby, which is my choice for this fortnight. Uh, before we get going, I'd like to explain why I've chosen this film. It's probably obvious to some of you, but basically we lost Sid Haig uh, recently, and he is one of my favourite actors and just a general lovely man. So I had a little look at the Arrow archives uh, to find a suitable title. Uh, there's a few to choose from, obviously, with Sid um, on the Arrow collection, but this one is particularly special, uh, partly because of the film itself and partly because of the extras. So we'll get into all of that. But before we do that, bringing back an old catchphrase, uh, Dan, why don't you <laughs> tell people about the plot? Uh, yeah, so Spider Baby is a comedy horror. I think it's the third feature from Hill, the director. I uh, think it's his first. No, he'd done Thingy Mondo Keyhole right. before this. And not even counting the uncredited stuff that he did for Corman. He did Mondo Keyhole and he did a uh, Blood something. Bloodbath. I th- Bloodbath was before this as well. Was it before that? Yeah. I, I mean, I think we should print the legend because he says on the commentary that it's his first film. <laughs> um, and Fair enough. I did I did watch the commentary, although, spoiler alert, because we'll be talking about the extras later because the extras are great. Yeah. I hate the commentary for this. Do you? Now, oh, we'll get into now, that then. The Fantastic. thing is, I love it for its content. I hate it because of how fucking wet Jack Hill's mouth is. Right. And it's like listening to someone wearing flip-flops going through like a dry stream. Well, I can't say that... It's so, um, so unpleasant. Precious Arrowhead, do not let that put you off because I did not notice that. But Dan is right. I've checked the uh, IMDb records. Uh, uncredited on the Wasp Woman. Yeah. Um, uh, a short which is described as a student short, <laughs> but um, <laughs> came a year after um, the Wasp Woman. Then there was the Terror, Bloodbath, Mondo Keyhole, and all in 66, uh, both those in 66, and then Spider Baby in 67. So, so yeah, but Mondo Keyhole and uh, Bloodbath are both post-Corman. So right. those are his own projects. Right. And then this is his third, like, free from Corman's factory. Yeah, I wondered what... Yeah, <laughs> like, I think he says quite a few times that this was his first movie, and I think Sid Haig does say that they weren't able to tell, <laughs> possibly because he had done... I mean, you know what? It's entirely possible that the dates are such that this one was released after the other two, actually, but they made it first. Actually, I'm sure that's the case. Maybe that's what it is. I'm sure that's the case, yeah, because I think this did have some difficulty in getting released i think it was held back a little bit so i think that makes sense right we solved that mystery our self-generated we've, we've guessed at the solution to that mystery. our self-generated mystery um but i think we should probably just believe jack um yeah uh, and you were right, going so, into the plot yeah right so it's uh, it's a comedy horror um they make this very clear from the outset with the um well interestingly i thought the subtitle the the maddest movie ever told maddest story maddest story ever told 
um, felt like the kind of subtitle you used to get on comedies from the era. Yeah. Like, you know, the the Marvelous Men and their Fly Machines and they would have a lengthy subtitle, yep, like, you know, yep, all those yep. movies. And then when the credits kick in, it really makes no... Uh, it doesn't hold back in letting you know it's going to be a comedy. It's got, a, it's got an amazing uh, piece of music. Yeah. Um, and then the credits are like something from uh, somewhere between like an Ealing comedy and what was it that you compared them to? Um, the, the Adams Family and the yes. Monsters. It's yeah, that, yeah, kind, that of kind of vibe of, and atmosphere for yeah, sure. Definitely has that kind of like post-scarf vibe but yeah. it feels a bit Molesworthy. Yes. <laughs> a bit Centrinian-y. Um Yeah, really, really lovely. Uh, and then we go straight into it. Uh, we start with Manton Moreland who, uh, those of you who listened to my zombie like tidy up over on Evolution of Horror would have heard me talking about him. Uh, Get out of here with your Evolution of Horrors. In Revenge of the Zombies. So Manton, this was kind of like a, like a bit of a comeback for him. He had fallen out of favour because his particular brand of comedy was seen as having no place in a sort of uh, more morally awake world uh, because his, his comedy played on a lot of racial stereotypes and he'd sort of fallen out of favour because yeah. of that. Uh, so yeah, he would have been a familiar face to some of the older generation, maybe who who went to see this, but wouldn't necessarily have had that uh, that celebrity uh, for the younger younger audience. Uh, but he's great in it, and uh, and Hill himself says that that you know, like so many other people at the time, this was meant to be a sort of a psycho reference this opening sequence so manton dan just describe the plot because you're eating into loads of points i have to make and i know we're doing a short episode <laughs> but just describe the plot uh a, a mad family live on a hill and do bad things <laughs> thank you <laughs> blimey right so uh sorry i'm full of hot toddies yeah and and booze hot toddies are mostly booze i know especially in this house special medicine uh, and i should actually mention you know that was only a joke about evolution of horror we're all friends in the podcast world um except for me in the evolution of horror because they wouldn't let me do rosemary's baby in the next um series I'm not sure if i'm allowed to say that but <laughs> fuck them <laughs> again i'm joking i love you mike Munzer. uh anyway <laughs> i've i've actually lost it we've um dear sweet arrowhead it's been a torturous journey to record this one. We should probably mention that the sound quality isn't as good as normal because uh, we just recorded part of an episode before we realised one of the mics wasn't working and then we realised it wasn't the mic and there is something wrong with the recorder something very itself. peculiar. Yeah, yeah. Some of you might see me wittering on about this on Twitter trying to work out what the fuck's wrong with this machine. Yes, it may be haunted. But yeah, uh, one of the kind of main selling points of... of this disc is the commentary um despite the uh the mouth issues <laughs> the, the wet mouth but um in in that sequence that, that dan mentions the the kind of opening kind of scare sequence and it kind of is really i kind of love the opening sequence to this because it really sets the tone by the, opening the sequence, really weird you, do, tone you mean the, Sorry, not the, the credit the sequence not the credit sequence but yeah exactly the, yeah, the yeah, framing yeah, thing. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's a lovely story on the commentary um, about the prosthetic ear that appears in the oh, film, yeah. um, which leads to slightly... Yeah, it's like a, a like a weird moment of sort <laughs> of like a thing that's not acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, a, a black character has his ear hacked off and a white member of crew had a prosthetic ear 
from a war injury, so they borrowed one of his ears and just blacked it up. Yeah, and then they tell a story about how this crew member used to um, try and pick up women in bars, and if they rejected him, he would drop the prosthetic ear into their drink as a form of, or one of many that he had. Yeah, um, it seems like he had of, like a, a stock of them because he would literally leave it. He would yeah, abandon it. <laughs> like a whole suitcase full. Um, so yeah, slight spoiler alert for the commentary there, but it's a, a minor story in amongst many, many um, interesting yeah, stories. If you, if you can get past the stomach-turning uh, audio of the uh, of the audio commentary, it is a, an absolutely fantastic audio commentary. Yeah, we should talk a little bit about Jill Banner, um, the, the spider baby of the title. Yeah. is a very um, interesting actress. Uh, we find out that she didn't actually tell her friends or family that she was doing this film because she was worried about it, uh, which is surprising to me because I think it's it's actually, but this might sound strange to you, Dan, but it's one of my favourite horror performances ever. Oh, she's great in it. I love it so there are, much. There are so many fantastic looks from yeah, her. Exactly. And, her physicality uh, yeah. is insane. Yeah, yeah, she's great. And there, and there are love, lots of lovely cut-tos. Like, so you'll have an yes. event, and then either a character will see her for the first time, and she'll have this amazing expression on her face, or the camera will move to her, and you'll have, like almost like a coda to the scene, yeah. she'll do a face that yeah, sums yeah. up like the end, that that's the end of the, totally. of the event. Totally, yeah. Um, she's wonderful. And uh, yeah, the performances are very kind of special all round, I think. They kind of combine perfectly for the, the tone of the film. They're all kind of quite unique and, and strange, but it's, it's kind of Lon Chaney that, that really knocks out of the park in this. Oh, he's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. There's a kind of a, a monologue, um, I guess, towards the end of the film where it, it's so emotional that he's crying and apparently the crew all crying. Everyone applauded at the end. Because it's kind of like one of it's one of his last roles, isn't yeah. it? Um, it's probably his last great role. And in fact, he referred to it as one of his favourite ever roles, possibly because it, it, it it's such a great performance, but also... It's very loving of him, isn't it? It's there's lots of little in jokes, like Wolfman jokes and stuff. It's kind of celebrating him as an icon, and it's kind of well, an early example. And the of whole that. and the whole film is very much a sort of love letter to the Universal Studio horror. Like yes, it, 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 like it's apparent as a viewer that there are moments of influence throughout. But then listening to the commentary again, uh, Hill talks regularly about like going, oh, and I I got this trick from Wolfman, or I got yeah. this, you know, I watched this. You know, I watched this Universal Horror and this gave me this idea. And so he's he's sort of putting together a lot of things because he's still a relatively green director at this point. It's his first film, as we've worked <laughs> out. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. And and it kind of, I think it, it, I mean, I think it's an underseen film. I think it's kind of a lost classic. Obviously, people like us are aware of it and have seen it and, you know, Arrow Collectors. Um, but the, but the Arrow disc it was the first time it was released on on I think released in this country full stop but certainly on Blu-ray um, but yeah I'm pretty sure it's the first release this film ever got I don't know 
I could be making that up. I'm going to make up a lot in this. I'm very distracted by the fact I'm not holding a mic. But uh, you like to hold a microphone. Just give you give you a microphone to hold. That's a good idea. But yeah, in in terms of like where it sits in in horror history, I really think it deserves a place between Psycho, as you mentioned, and you know Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is obviously it's an influence on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Um, but it, it does a lot of things that first beyond that so you've got that sort of casting of, of the, the icon and sort of building a film around him and like we touched upon it's a, a very early example of a postmodern horror film you know a lot of people thought that scream was the first postmodern horror film which is bonkers because there's so many so examples many. before that but this is an incredibly early example and as a result weirdly despite those references dating it obviously and there's a couple of really dated references which they kind of explain in the commentary that people just don't get now and yet it still feels as fresh watching it today it feels like a contemporary horror film yeah i mean it's it's interesting there are bits there are moments when it starts to feel like a modern film making an old film right and this isn't to throw shade at this at all something like and i think i mentioned this as a, as a point of reference before, but something like The Lost Skeleton of Cadavera. Mm-hmm. But then there are other bits where it feels so perfectly of its era uh, that it's very hard to tell when it was made, whether it's a very good reference to that time yes, or actually something from that era. I think technically, considering you know how cheap it was and how like run and gun it all was, it's, it's actually very proficiently made. Very. Um, it looks really nice. I, I think again, it's because they've because here there's drawing from, you know, the universal horrors and that kind of stuff. He's, and freaks as well. I think there's a bit of freaks. A, in yeah, there, there's a lot of browning in it. Yeah, it, the the whole thing is 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 very nice, and he's sort of picked his battles very wisely. He he knows what he can get away with. He knows what he can do well. Yeah. Um, his cinematography is really good. Uh, there's beautiful. He, he he says himself that he thinks it's what it contains one of the most successful ever day for night sequences. Mm. And I would be very hard-pressed to think of anything that was better, to the extent that I hadn't realised that some of that was day-to-night. Yeah. Because it is genuinely very, very well done, and that's so mm. hard to do. Yeah, the lighting, like, there's, there's one shot where the sisters are... Uh, actually, this scene encapsulates everything you were saying, because um, it's got the beautiful cinematography, uh, which he asked for it to be lit in this way, and... Um, oh, I know exactly what scene you're talking about. Yeah, so it is the moment where the sisters are at the top of the stairs, yeah. um, and they're all in shadow. So it's you just see the silhouette. It's beautiful, um, and so that sort of ties into what you're saying about the the cinematography being great. But also that scene is an example of him kind of picking his battles and knowing what he can get away with in terms of the edit, because there is a kind of nonsensical edit where they almost teleport, then, yeah, and where they're they're ahead of the character and then suddenly they're behind and attacking. But because of the intensity of the scene, certainly back then and still yeah. to a certain extent and the general feeling of kind of managed chaos of the film you just don't pick up on it and if they hadn't pointed it out i don't think i ever would have noticed that kind of yeah. um continuity well, but, error but then also within that scene is that amazing moment when uh, the guy in the at the bottom of the stairs shines the light up towards yeah, them, oh, and reveals and you yeah, have yeah. that spotlight hit them and again as we were talking about those sort of expressions those looks yeah there's just this madness oh, revealed by the light and it's so intense and it, extreme it, and again, it's just fantastic and that's part of what makes it feel contemporary like yeah yeah it's it's just a really really weird and unique film there's not really anything like it from that era i watched it again last night 
with uh, long-term friend of the podcast, Tony, forever in our hearts. <laughs> yeah, even though, <laughs> even though I found out recently that he never actually listens to this podcast. I don't no, know he why. gets cliff notes from a friend of ours. <laughs> Brilliant. But he, uh, he described it as uh, the horror movie equivalent of a hug. Yeah, it, it's a comfort it is, film It's very, very comforting. It's very nice. And it hits a lot of those uh, those notes, like when you feel like you want something familiar but but good. Yeah, yeah. it's great. It, it's definitely a comfort film for me. I will put it on, yeah, um, when I need that kind of combination of weird intensity but also sentimentality and sweetness. It's such a weird film, man. I love it. It's I got, really it's love it. It's genuinely got good laughs. I, I, I wouldn't say it's ever especially scary although there are genuine moments of tension in it yeah but it's just great yeah and i wonder that combination of kind of intensity and violence and sentimentality is one of the reasons i kind of picked it to encapsulate sid haig because here's a guy who has played some really intense characters you know very nasty characters very nasty characters but in real life was just the sweetest nicest guy and you get a real sense of that in the commentary and you know there's the also uh, a lovely documentary and there's also sid's first ever performance um in the short film that's on the disc the host the host yeah so and that's kind of a, a weird westerny thing. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I'd oh, not yeah. seen it before. Oh wow! I'd not seen it before watching it on the, the on the rewatch. Uh, Tony and I put it straight on, and I was like, "Oh, it's half an hour long. I might not might not watch it all in this." And it, no, it's great. Just pulls you right in. Totally, and it's got like yeah, it's got a weird apocalypse now feeling to it. Well, they they uh, they talk about it being a strong influence uh, because he was at school with Coppola. They were at film school together. Yes, and the book that the host is based on is on the shelf in the background of a scene in apocalypse now to the extent that like it's kind of just assumed that this short film was an influence on the third act of apocalypse now i love that i really love that and yeah there's um yeah it's it's weird like all these guys being at film school together and kind of unofficially influencing each other it's like dan o'bannon's short film that arguably influenced Halloween. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, some weird crossovers. And kind of another weird crossover is that um, Jill Banner dated Marlon Brando. And yeah, there's a really poignant story about that on the commentary that I'm not going to uh, I'm not gonna spoil. Um, you have to listen to it. It's very, um, quite moving. Uh, but it's not, you know, the commentary isn't sad. It It's... Funny. Jack, oh, it's, no, it's a celebration. Jack Hill kind of ribs actors talking about what you can get for an actor's day rate and <laughs> mocking method actors. But he has really kind words to say about Sid, obviously. And yeah, it's all very sweet. Who is in the room with him when they're in the podcast? Yeah, exactly. It's together. On the podcast or on the audio commentary? Yeah. And what is an audio commentary if not a podcast? Exactly. <laughs> exactly, Dan. And that's oh, why. My fucking brain is soup. I apologise. That's why everyone should listen to them. Um, and yeah. Hill kind of highlights the jokes in the movie and Haig kind of humours him. It's a nice little thread. And yeah, one other thing to talk about, uh, which we don't talk about often enough, uh, and that's the box art. Graham Humphrey's yeah, lovely. cover is beautiful. Yeah, Graham's... Oh, God. Yeah, Graham's great, obviously. Like anything Graham touches is lovely. Yeah. Uh, do you see the stuff he did for Tales from the Lodge? Abigail? Yeah, really Abigail's nice. Abigail's film. Really lovely. Yeah, yeah, he kind of elevates everything. Um, right, shall we stop talking about this and start talking about our recommendations? Yeah. 
Do you want to go first this time? I can go first. Sure. Right. What do you recommend? First thing I recommend is Mumsy, Nanny, Sonny and Girly. I feel like that might be the second time we recommended that, but yes, go. Look. No, because I, I was slightly disappointed myself for having been the first person to recommend a film twice because oh. I recommended uh, Queens of Evil twice. Oh, last, last time round, I recommended Queens of Evil on The Child and had previously recommended it on The Baby. I, I feel like, our, dear sweet Arrowheads, if you've paid enough attention, um, you can tell us. I feel like we may have mentioned... Maybe we have done it as well. We have, we have, but... Well... I'm sure we have. But you know, maybe we just talked about it. Maybe we, we might just, just talked it. about it. Because I can't think of a better film to recommend for, for this. Like, they are so in the same kind of tradition. It's It's got a very similar tone. It's another fucked up family. There's also the thing about, you know, not ageing past, yeah. like being forced to remain as an adolescent. Um, syndrome syndrome. It doesn't quite have the same, um, you know, medical, true science <laughs> medical <laughs> backstory in Mumsy, Nanny, Sunny and Girly. She's a spider because she's got two knives. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That, that, that's something that we didn't really touch upon. That first introduction of... Um, oh, my God, yeah. Like, it's, well, it's such a left turn it's t- like tonally, it's isn't so, it? So, yeah. And, like, you know, the, the, the Vaseline on a lens or whatever, yeah. that weird... Oh, it's just such a beautiful, iconic moment. What a film. But, yeah, uh, Mumsy, Nanny, Sonny and Girly. I'm sorry if I recommended it before, but it's a perfect double bill for Spider-Baby. So I recommend it. Dan, what's your first recommendation based on this film? So uh, I actually found this quite a hard film to uh, think of recommendations for. Partly, well, mostly because there are a couple of different ways you can come at it. Like, obviously, we chose it, or you chose it, because of Sid's involvement. And so, do I go down that route? Do mm-hmm, I look for mm-hmm. something with Sid in it? Um, do I go for something that is, like, narratively similar? Mm-hmm. So my first recommendation is actually something that I enjoy in the same way that I enjoy Spider-Baby. Okay. So the, the films themselves aren't overtly similar, mm-hmm. but my uh, my draw to them is is similar. Uh, so, if any of you haven't seen Todd Browning's remake of his own film, The Unholy Three, oh, that nice. he did in 1930, which was actually uh, Cheney's dad's last talkie, uh, well, only talkie, last film, I think. Uh, he, it was his first film where he with, recorded with sound. Uh, it's a remake of a silent film that Browning had done a few years earlier, and it's about a ventriloquist, a strong man. Uh, and a little person who set up an amazing contrivance of robberies. Uh, and the short, the, the silent film version is, is fantastic. Yeah. As far as I know, has it had a proper release in the UK? Like a no. nice quality release? No. So uh, as far as I know, both of them are still only available in the UK on shitty quality YouTube prints. The, um, the, the YouTube version of uh, Unholy 3, the, the, the talkie version, is watchable. The YouTube version of the silent version is almost unwatchable, so not maybe not worth your time. But they're both fantastic films. Mm. Uh, but yeah, the, the the talkie one is is just a delight, and it's got this same uh, mix of sort of darkness. Oh, that never goes quite as far as, as Spider Baby. I mean, unsurprisingly, considering the time mm. uh, and and humor as well. Uh, and Lon Chaney Senior is so fucking good in it. Yeah, yeah, it's a delight. Yeah, really, really wonderful recommendation. And please, Arrow, please do a double disc of both of them. Oh, I imagine. That'd be lovely. So nice. Um, Right, my next recommendation 
is a film from 1974. I specify that because there's more than one film with this title, but it is Frightmare, the Pete Walker movie. Yeah, nice. Um, now, it's another uh, brilliantly performed film that also feels like a distant cousin, distant British cousin to Texas Chainsaw. Uh, it's also got a really weird atmosphere and some um, fun effects and some really fun shots and edits and so on. Uh, you'll notice I'm not going too far into the plot because I'm hoping that you guys trust us enough by this point to just take risks on things. And with Frightmare, I think the less you know, the better, because there's some nice turns in it. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, Frightmare is my final recommendation based on this film. Dan, what is yours? Before I go into my last one, can I just say, and I was thinking about this earlier anyway, but uh-huh. um, can I ask our listeners to message us either via the email, which will do at the end if we can remember it or via our Twitter handles uh, and let us know are there any like how many people actually go out and watch our recommendations I'd be really interested to know like you know have you discovered a new favourite based on something that we've said like you know we we, we, uh, we suggest these films every couple of weeks I just have no idea how much people are responding well, to Well, we got a nice little email about that but I will save that for extra features extra features extra features so Dan Yes, right. Before Sorry. So, we do yeah, that. Before we do that. Uh, <laughs> my second recommendation based on it. So I, I was talking about like the the criteria, the various criteria one could use to, to select something. I've gone for uh, a picture from 1989. It's going to be an absolute bastard to get hold of. I apologise. Uh, it's called Wizards of the Lost Kingdom 2. Are you familiar with that? No. So this is definitely one that falls into the watch it with a few friends and some drinks Category it is not a good film by any stretch. It stars, uh, well, it doesn't star Sid Haig. It features Sid Haig mm-hmm. as an evil wizard. And it is like some drunks put together a Dungeons & Dragons movie. It's, wow. it's absolutely astonishing. It's written by Charles B. Griffith, who was a, 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 a Corman alum like Hill. And actually, he wrote, as a writer, he did Little Shop of Horrors, the original, and uh, Death Race 2000, and that kind of stuff. He directed Wizards of the Lost Kingdom. It's like, if you were given two choices for everything that went into making that film, they chose the wrong one every single time. It is absolutely astonishingly bad. Wow. But it's a delight. It's really, really fun. Fabulous. Well, I can't... I it's can't, got Carradine in it as well. <laughs> I can't necessarily back this one as I haven't seen it, but I, I trust you, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, you know, under very certain circumstances, right. it's the perfect film. Right, brilliant. Well, uh, we'll have to watch it together at some point. Shall we do our recommendations from the past couple of weeks? Yes, please. Great. Well, I will go first again uh, because it's a film that uh, I assume Dan hasn't seen yet, though there has been a public screening of it. The Lighthouse. Did you get to go and see it? I did get to go oh and see goodness. it. Oh, my goodness. And I absolutely loved it. Yeah, it's, I'm going to love it. It's exactly, exactly in my wheelhouse. Um, it's got beautiful black and white cinematography. Shot in 4 3 35. Oh, exactly. Like, oh. and, and the score, the sound design, the performances, uh, every shot. It kind of... It reminded me of Night of the Hunter in a way, just in terms of the look, and I would be very surprised if that film wasn't in the lookbook for this film because um, there's, you know, one sort of piece of production design uh, is very Night of the Hunter. Like that film, every shot could be hung on your wall 
and it's just yeah it's a stunning uncompromised vision uh which is also surprisingly funny in places which i wasn't expecting so while it, it it's probably an acquired taste to a certain extent i think that people who listen to this podcast are very open-minded and want new experiences at the cinema so when it's released in the uk at the end of january please go out and see it and support this kind of yes, filmmaking please. um because i i want more of this kind of thing my um, uh, yeah. my key prosthetics artist uh out in toronto on possessor mm was the key uh, prosthetics artist on Lighthouse. Oh, wow. And uh, our first AD on Possessor was also, I think the first AD was definitely involved in Lighthouse as well. Wow. And I got to hear little snippets about production while we were working together, and it did nothing but wet my appetite. Wow. The wettest of appetites. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it was a a very difficult film to make um, in lots of different ways, but... As is so often the case, dear sweet precious Arrowhead, the films, whenever you hear people talk about making a film and they say how much fun it was to make, it's normally a piece of shit. (laughs) But when people say, fucking hell, this was hard, I almost died, this person was difficult, this person was difficult, those are the true great films because everyone is working hard. As long as it's not bad in terms of, you know, someone died or, you know someone was on coke or whatever but if it's that you've got a mixture of personalities who are all determined to make the best film possible and will go to any lengths to do it those are the films you want to watch for the record i have it from two crew members uh that uh the two leads were both lovely okay and not difficult to work with at all okay good I'm not saying... Okay. No, no, I know. Yeah. I'm just, you know, because, you know, people guess. People people make assumptions that maybe you had some insider info and... But no, apparently they were both lovely. Uh, Tracy Loder, the, the, the makeup artist, was talking about the working in close proximity with both of the, the leads. Yeah. Uh, and had nothing but, but praise for both of them as people as well as performers. One thing I will say, though, on that point, and this isn't definitely not a diss, and I'm sure they were lovely to work with. However... Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe both have the complete opposite approach. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. So Willem Dafoe loves to rehearse uh, and, you know, as many takes as possible and he'll do something different in every take. Uh, Robert Pattinson really builds himself up for take number one or, apparently, take number 57. He'll come (laughs) back to it. But, you know, between that, then, you know, who knows what you're going to get. And when when two actors are that different and there's a lot of shots where obviously they're in the same shot. I mean, there's also, you know, a lot of ones, a lot of ones where I think they're working around stuff. Who knows that this is pure guesswork. But all I will say when there are actors whose technique and approach is so different and their rhythms are so different, that can be very challenging as well. I have some off-microphone stories for you. (laughs) Wonderful, right. (laughs) Well then, let's get on to your next recommendation so we can wrap this up because I want to hear that story. My next recommendation is uh, a film I actually watched. So uh, my wife, Jen, uh, was recently a judge for the Grim Up North Festival and so we've had a bunch of their screeners in the house. Cool. And one of the films I watched uh, was a film called 4x4. Okay. uh, Directed by... And I'm probably going to mispronounce this. I really hope I don't. Uh, Marino Cohn. It's a, oh god, I really really liked it. 
initially it felt like it could have been done quite cheaply, but it's so technically impressive. Mm. It's um, so like a lot of uh, a lot of like lower budget indie films start off from a point of going, well, what's a nice single location I can shoot a picture in? Of course, yeah. And uh, and and the the sort of the epitome of those are films like what's that Ryan Reynolds one set in a coffin, buried, buried. Things like Buried, where yeah. you literally have one actor and a tiny, tiny space. And and they can be quite successful, but they also are innately uncinematic, just yeah. because you're in such a confined space. Uh, 4x4 is set in a car that a car thief finds himself trapped in. Oh, cool. And all the windows are mirrored, so he can see the world around him, but people can't see in. Okay. And he is unable to escape from it. The level of cinematic aplomb that they are able to achieve inside that, I can only assume they built the car and then every side could be removed for various different shots. Yeah. It's really beautifully photographed. Mm, great. But it's also like, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. It, there's loads of like sort of karma moments. That sounded like a weird pun, I apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it, yeah, it's, the performances are fantastic. It's just really fucking good. It's really good. Wonderful. Yeah. So uh, that should be, I assume that'll be getting a, an unfairly small release in the UK in the near future. And then and then DVD. Um, yeah, yeah. It'll, almost, it, it'll definitely come to your VOD platform. I love it. So it's basically like horror lock. Yeah. Doesn't drive around as much. I love I love lock. <laughs> I really do love lock. Right. Uh, uh, that sounds wonderful. I will look out for it. Uh, my next recommendation is a film that's been talked about on the podcast in the past. It is An English Haunting. Uh, I went to the first screening of Charlie Steed's next film, which he talked about on our live Arrow Video Fright Fest podcast extravaganza. And I really loved it. I think it's his best film. There's some lovely shots, brilliant edits, and it all builds to a wonderfully satisfying ending. It's kind of uh, a slow burn. It's kind of like a classical ghost story um, with a couple of little subversions. There's like, he includes like, there's one shot where you're like, oh, I know what's coming, but then he subverts it. And then he kind of does it anyway. It's really great. I really love that kind of thing. It shows that you're in the hands of a, a good filmmaker. It will be at the Soho Horror Festival in November with a lot of other great films. Uh, Mitch, the guy who runs that festival, has really good taste. Last year was so much fun. And this year he's picked some really, really nice films. So uh, check out the Soho Horror Festival website for information about that. Um, and an English Haunting will be on DVD in March, I believe. And I think it's with a company that puts films into supermarkets. So, um, yeah, he, he's done a great job with it. So look out for that in March, should you remember that far ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you won't. Yeah, I'll remind you at the time. But, um, yeah, an English Haunting, I recommend it. Dan. I got to see a preview of uh, Chained for Life. Do you know what Chained for Life? Ah, uh, the title rings a bell. So, yes, I don't mean the, like, 50s picture about the Siamese twins. Right, okay, what are you talking <laughs> about? <laughs> uh, no, Chained for Life uh, is directed by a chap called Aaron Schimberg, who I had not heard of before, but uh, is probably most notable because it 
co-stars Adam Pearson, right. who is the, uh, let's say, very distinctive young man from Under the Skin. Yeah. Um, yes, I do know this. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, Zoe's is, company is releasing this, right? Zoe? Uh, Zoe uh, Flower and um, it's Andy Stark. Uh, Anti Worlds, yeah, 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 Andy's company, yeah, yeah. So uh, Andy Stark, who co-owns Mondo Macabro, um, and I recommended another film they released recently, the, um, the documentary, yeah, the uh, Penny Slinger, yes, documentary. Yeah, they're they're putting out some really interesting stuff. Again, I to be honest, when I when I first heard about this, I had thought it was a documentary about Adam. And it is not that. It is a dream logic movie about making films and about what exploitation is and about what like acceptance of self is that feels it's one of the most dream logic films I've ever seen. Oh wow. It it doesn't it, it, it's not like dream logic like at any point someone might start flying it's dream logic like you genuinely have no fucking idea what's real and what isn't love it it's a like you know how you love that version that opening scene of a film where you see a thing that's not what you expected from the beginning of the film and then they call cut and it turns out they were making a movie I love it imagine if a whole film was that fuck me I have like, to see literally, this film literally scene by scene you never know whether you're watching something they're making in a film it's honestly or, one of my favourite things and, and they're fucking babushkaed to shit so yeah. like it's nested as well oh. so like maybe they're making a film in the film um, ah, I need to in see the this. film that you're watching it's an absolute delight um, it also it has in it Alison Midstock who was in Happy Face, the the picture yep, yep, yep. that we recommended. And actually, Andy first mentioned it to me because I was telling him about Happy Face right. and how I was worried it wasn't going to get a UK release. So I was like, Andy, Andy, you do, you release films. <laughs> <laughs> you should pick this up. I like it. Um, and he was like, wow, it sounds uh, like not too far from Train for Life. And they're very different films, but they're, uh, they're both fantastic. But I think they might be my two favourite films of the year. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> which is fucking crazy. But yeah, it's, um, it, it's genuinely amazing. And then there's this like a sort of five minute bit at the end that just I'm still processing it I love oh. it so much oh I cannot wait to see this so film. yeah that's actually that's getting a UK release so that actually has a UK release uh, lined up for October 25th it'll have a cinematic and I don't know if it's day and date but if it's not then it'll be shortly after that it'll be VOD um, but it's either VOD on October the 25th I can't or, remember or soon after I it's can't, so fucking good I can't remember the last time that we did four recommendations that are all films that are coming out we've, yeah I don't think we've ever done that before so um, <laughs> welcome to the future but luckily in extra features extra features extra features <laughs> extra features we can talk about films from the past because we've had a lovely 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 email uh, from a lovely young man how many times can I say lovely dear sweet arrowhead uh, James Rodriguez. Are we talking I about think, lovely bones? I think uh, oh, we are not recommending the lovely <laughs> bones. Um, hope I pronounced your surname correctly there, James. Uh, hi, Sam and Dan. Now, whenever Dan reads out emails, um, dear sweet Arrowhead, he always leaves out the compliments. But when I do them, I include <laughs> them. So, hi, Sam and Dan. I love the podcast and seeing a new episode of it pop up in my podcast app brightens my day. Hearing you two talk so passionately just makes me want to seek out every film you cover to answer your question from earlier. Want to? Um, not, not, it doesn't, maybe he doesn't. 
And this especially includes the ones you dislike. I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> my question to you both is, if I had some money to spend on new additions to my Arrow video collection, what titles would you recommend I give a try? Any underseen gems that deserve more love would especially be helpful. Thanks for everything and RIP to my bank balance. Now, the challenge here, Dan, is oh that my God. he he does want to seek out every film we cover so we can't include a film that we've talked about before okay so i'm gonna suggest something uh that is wholly unprecedented whoa and entirely problematic whoa not 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 problematic like that just just problematic from a sound point of view uh so uh, as we mentioned before we're recording this in a slightly peculiar way so i apologize if the sound's a bit weird we are in my living room and i can see my whole film collection from here yeah Sam, how about we pick up this recorder and we take it on the move take it on the road and we go and just look at the walls and we just say films i mean we could <laughs> make do... nick vesterberg's life a fucking misery and now we we definitely can do that however what he has asked for is arrow video titles. oh yeah no no yeah right okay we'll, we'll great. be specifically right. looking for arrow titles all right sorry if there's that. a bit of a rustle as i pick this up both of us getting off the couch like old men so let's ignore the okay so first off I think a very easy choice is the uh, Battles Without Honor or Humanity box set, yeah. which is fucking gorgeous, and the new Battles Without Honor and Humanity follow-up box set. Uh, you, you said R.O.P. my bank balance. That's a that's a hefty spend right there. It's two big old box sets, and they're both uh, full of amazing, amazing films. Now, I'm going to name a film that possibly won't be on Dan's shelf, though it might very well be, actually, because uh, he had a gold card. Am I allowed to talk about that? You can I don't mention know. the gold card. It's uh, gone now. Uh, the Untamed, uh, which I, is a, a... Oh, yeah, it is, It is, but it's down the other end of the room. So, yeah, that is a, uh, a more modern release. It was very underseen. And I think sometimes the... I don't know, but sometimes it feels like perhaps the modern films struggle on Arrow. I have no data to back this up from Arrow themselves, but... Obviously, a lot of the films that they have uh, released have such a legacy and a following already, and it can be hard to build a following for the newer modern ones. But uh, The Untamed deserves a following. It is in the tradition of possession, and it's a, a beautifully shot and performed film. Uh, Dan, you've just pulled something out. Yeah, well, I, I, I looked at the... Uh, I saw The Death Walks in Our Heels, which we obviously talked about, and Sam hated <laughs> Uh, a while ago, um, uh, Arrow also released Death Walks at Midnight, uh, also by Luciano Acoli's, Acoli. And um, yeah, it's another great and I think underseen. I, I don't think it's quite as good as Death Walks in My Heels, uh, but it's also not got a lot of the stuff that Sam hated about Death yeah. Walks in My Heels in it. So um, yeah, that's, a, that's one to, to dig out. Right. I, I mean, I think maybe we shouldn't go through your whole collection because we may start to bite into uh, future recommendations future recommendations and films that we're probably actually going to cover. Um, but do you have one more, Dan, that you'd like to throw out there? I'm just, I'm, look, I'm just looking at the shelf. I'm just looking at the shelf and I want to recommend a lot of films, but uh, many of them are not Arrow. Well, I'm going to recommend one uh, modern film, which I don't think is out when this podcast goes out, but... Uh, and it's one that, who knows, I might do in a couple of weeks for my next choice. But uh, The Dead Centre, I will actually do this when it's out. Um, so I obviously want to give people a chance to watch it because it's another new one. But it's another one that really, really deserves love. And I hope that people oh, support it. Oh, releasing Dead Centre? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so... 
Yes, I, I very much recommend that one. Any more from you, Dan? Ah, uh, God, I'm just stuck on... I'm basically, my eyes have landed on the indicated Norman J. Warren set, and I can't look at anything else now. Well, you can recommend that. Why That's not? fucking great, the bloody terror box set, the Norman J. Warren stuff. And how about a couple from Arrow Academy? Uh, two of my favourite ever films, The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant nice. and Fox and His Friends. Uh, I've mentioned Bitter Tears before, but I haven't mentioned Fox and His Friends. So Arrow Academy, Fassbinder movies, uh, my, in my top three directors of all time. Uh, I love him. Uh, so watch as many films as he's made as possible, please, James. Right. Oh, we also, also oh. if you haven't got it, just go and fucking buy Black Sunday because it's a masterwork and it's a really lovely disc. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, Should we sit back now? Yeah. We have um, we have a little bit of news. I don't know how important this is, but we've been told that we are actually now allowed to cover Arrow uh, Academy pictures as long as as long as they are sort of culty enough. Yeah. So I have asked to do the apartment, which we'll do just before Christmas. Um, I'll time it. You know, when it's my turn to choose close to Christmas so uh, it's one that a lot of people have seen but who knows maybe there are people out there who haven't and what a fucking treat so I only saw it for the first time a couple of years ago oh did you yeah oh, so please please buy the apartment um, ahead of uh, one of our Beautiful. Christmas episodes and I'm doing you a favour by saying that because it is an absolute masterpiece um, from top to bottom we're going to do Robocop at some point we'll do Robocop when it's out for sure one of us will have to have to fall on that Delightful sword. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. There's so much fucking good stuff. Uh, Nightbreed will do. Holy shit, we've got quite a lot to fit in. Before Is Nightbreed Christmas. coming out on? Academy. Arrow, no, Arrow Video. That's Arrow Robocop's video. Arrow Video as well. I oh, wonder it? why you mentioned it. Yeah. Oh, no, it's um, it's Children of Men is Academy. Yes, Children of Men. Is but I'd, I'd happily talk about Children of Men as well. I fucking love that film. Yeah, it's brilliant. I thought we just dipped into stuff that we're going to do in the future. No, but. well, that's fine. No, no, I was specifically talking about Academy, and I just, I remembered Mike saying, oh, yeah, no, you can do them if they're culty enough. Like, Children of Men would be fine, but I just transplanted Children of Men for Robocop in my head. <laughs> <laughs> and on that Because they're the same film. They're the same film. If you really look at it, look at it, on the... On a plot level, on that, film. on that earthquake of a reveal that, <laughs> that Dan thinks that don't, don't think too much about it. <laughs> um, we're going to wrap this up. So, as ever, thank you so much for listening, and we promise to be more professional and possibly have working mics next time. Thank you so much. I'm sorry, I'm so sick. Oh, Sam, no, do the social media. Oh, I mean, you know, people know what it is by now, surely. What if this is the only one they've listened to? What if this is the first one Tony bothers to listen to himself? Oh, God, yeah. All right, so I'm at Sam Ashurst on Twitter. I'm at Sam Ashurst 23, number two, number three. And actually got a decent spread of followers from the last episode on Instagram. So uh, please join that army um, who, are, who are looking at pictures that I've taken. Uh, Dan, what, what are you? I'm uh, at 13fingerfx on both. I also got a, a little uptick in followers recently, but I don't think they're necessarily... Uh, podcast listeners I, I feel like I've dropped onto a list somewhere and I don't know what it is uh, okay that's interesting well um, right good uh, I am going to do the catchphrase again and I'll do it properly this time thank you so much for listening and we promise to be more professional next time yes bye bye bye